When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, the band all back together again, actually. It's been a while, hasn't it, guys, I think? So uh, there you go. Let's. Uh, Jeremy Cross is with me from the Daily Star, Matt Dunn from the, from the Express and my colleague uh, from the Daily Mirror, Andy Dunn. Um, what a week, guys! There's never a dull week in football, is there? I mean, wow, it's been um, it's been astonishing, really. It's amazing, isn't it, that how how strong a voice, how powerful a voice, um, sport and football can have um, on on the Ukraine crisis and uh, and and all the knock on effects of that. Is that voice loud enough? Are, are we shouting loud enough really within sport? That is a big question for today. Also, of course, Roman Abramovich and um, his public statement arriving finally last night at 6 p.m. Um, that he was going to sell Chelsea Football Club. How do we view his reign? How do we view this sale? What will happen next really? There's plenty to go at. Plus also um, FA Cup reaction from this midweek. And I look forward to some big games in the Premier League. But but really, let's start with the um, uh, Roman Abramovich statement, his decision to sell. Um, I mean, remarkable within that statement, saying that he would write off the £1.5 billion loan. Where does that leave him? And also his status after leading Chelsea for, what, 19 years, 21 trophies... He says that he will donate any net proceeds to uh, a charity of looking after uh, Ukraine war victims. But in all of that, he does still doesn't um, uh, decry and sort of kind of um, say anything about the the bloodshed that is um, that's going on in this disgusting war at the moment. So, all in all, Andy, how do you how do you sum up the last few days? How do you sum up Abramovich? Well, I mean, I start from the base point um, of the fact that I don't think anyone, no matter where, I mean, you mentioned then about where the money goes through the write-off of loans. I don't think, I don't care where the money is or isn't going to go to. I don't care that Roman Abramovich is is yet to be on any list, European list or UK list um, of sanctioned individuals. I just don't think anyone should be doing any sorts of business with a Russian oligarch at this time. I think the only the only thing people should be doing in relation to Russian oligarchs, whether or not they're on the sanction list, is to be squeezing them so hard that they'll have no option but to feel they should try and use their influence to um, to, to to basically to get rid of Putin. I think that that is all we should be doing. I just find the whole idea that no matter again, you know, I mean, I mean, the statement is very. You, 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 it's very euphemistic. You know, he's going to set up a charitable foundation. You know, we've we've heard that before. Charitable foundations become a euphemism for all sorts of things in the past. 
And, you know, if he wants to give it to charity, just give it to the charities that already exist that have already been formed. Um, you know, the victims are mentioned in it. You know, it, I assume he's embracing victims, you know, on, on both sides, all, all people. It's it's woolly. It's, you can read between the lines of it. You can take a face value and, and commend him for writing off, et cetera, et cetera. But my bottom line is that you should not be doing business with him, full stop. And I can't believe this government's, is going to sit sit by and allow, you know, what is essentially a fire sale of assets, um, of Russian assets. It's as simple as that. You know, I, but, and the question that then begs is that if you if if that was prevented, then where does Chelsea go from there? That's that that, that then is you know, now listen, it doesn't matter if if Chelsea is a collateral is if Chelsea Football Club is collateral damage from what's going, the terrible things that are going on in the Ukraine, well, then that's tough. You know, it doesn't really matter in the long in the long run. But it would beg the question, if Roman Abramovich doesn't sell, isn't allowed to sell this club, then what happens from then? You, you know what? It, it sounds fanciful, but, you know, it, it, should, it should be made. It, it should be given to the fans. You know, let, let, let's set up, you know, fans groups run clubs in other countries. Let's do it here. If that means they can't then go forward, pay... You know, players 300, 400 grand a week, then so be it. They'll just have to mm-hmm. take that hit. They just won't be the Chelsea that they've been over the last two decades of Abramovich's investment. Yeah. Jeremy, how will we look back upon Roman Abramovich's reign at Chelsea, but also the effect he's had on English football? Well, he changed English football, didn't he? He came in, you know, it was it was easily the richest owner of a, of a club in this country, and he... He set the bar really high. He he sort of forced other clubs to chase him down and um, and spend equally vast sums of money on on building their own clubs. You know, like uh, Man United uh, and uh, Man City, and now obviously Newcastle. So, you know, he's done a lot of good. I mean, you can't get away from the fact that you know he transformed a club from being virtually bankrupt to the best in the world. Won the European Cup twice. Won countless trophies. Given the fans a lot of pleasure. You know, he signed some of the greatest players I've ever seen in English football. But, you know, the backdrop to the whole 20 years or so of Abramovich being in charge is we knew, you know, that he he, he was clo- had close links to Putin. And, you know, the saying goes, doesn't it, that you got it, it's all about the company you keep, and he's now paying the price for that. So, like Andy said, you know, it's a situation which has left, you know, the European champions hanging on the precipice of, of going out of business because, you know, selling the club won't be easy and no matter how much money he wants for it. You know, there's mm. not going to be a great pool of buyers out there because it's such a vast sum of money that's involved. So, you know, what if you can't sell it? What if it becomes, you know, frozen by the government if the Prime Minister decides to, you know, show some courage and take some strong action against him? So we've obviously seen Usmanov's yacht seized by the Germans. So, um, look, he, he did a lot of good. He did a lot of good in the pandemic, didn't he? We talked about it yesterday on the phone. And um, But there was all that, always that backdrop to the fact that, you know, he became rich in the first place from people who ran the old Soviet Union. So, you know, that is an unpalatable sort of um, backstory to, 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 to Abramovich. And, you know, it's hard to find sympathy for Chelsea because, you know, they, they rode the wave. They were happy to do that, and no one, you know, thought about asking any serious questions at all. So, 
you know, it was almost like, let's put that to the back on the back burner and just enjoy all the success. So, you know, but now it's all come crashing down basically. So, mm. you know, it's a mixed feeling, you know, he, he, Created a lot of jobs, obviously, in, the, in and around mm. London, giving them a great training facility. Um, well, the other thing to consider about Chelsea is when it comes to finding a buyer, they are they 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 have a problem with Stamford Bridge, don't they? You know, I mean, even West Ham get more fans than Chelsea do. Yeah, you can't expand Stamford Bridge, you can't build a new stadium. You know, it's in a prime location, so that's never going to happen. Probably, that's a problem for buyers because you know. You get forty thousand a week at a home game, whereas Man United are getting nearly eighty thousand. That's double. Mm. That's always going to leave them, you know, short of short of fall, falling behind the, the, those other clubs that get more more people to matches. So that's yeah. that'll come into that'll come into the thinking of whoever's buying the club. Yeah, I think I think all the wisdom about ten years ago, Matt, was that basic match day revenue was king, wasn't it? And basically, you know, you had to expand your stadium. I don't know whether that's still the case. Um, really, I think the football wisdom now suggesting it's all about the kind of the, the TV money and the prize revenue, but uh, advertising. But um, but ultimately, I don't know whether you can compete with that that smaller ground, can you? And be considered an, an absolute huge club. So that is a huge obstacle as they as they look to, you know, do a quick sale. That that could be a major sticking point, as well as the sort of the. As well as the loan, writing it off or not, um, the champions of the world, Crossy. They're the champions of Europe. You know they haven't done too badly with that stadium so far. Yeah, um, and like you say, that more and more of the money is going to the winners. More and more of the money is feeding itself right to the very top of the pool. And with the terms that Abramovich is having to offer, then I think this will be a great deal for somebody. Um, what I would say is the same as everybody else. We're still leaving him to manage his own business, which I think could come back uh, and bite, you know, right-thinking people. Um, and as Andy said so so eloquently, that you know we've got to just be a, a note of caution. This is what um, this is what uh, he wants. This is what he's he's he's. It's not for him to dictate the terms. I'm just going to have to disappear. As you know, I've got a little problem with my motor at the moment, but a very nice man has just turned up. So I'm going to leave you for a moment and hopefully join you <laughs> later on in the debate. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> no, no, it's it's nice of you, nice oh, of you oh, to oh, join. He, but, um... he, no, no. Well, when he's, got, he's got that yellow light on top. He's, he, he's doing a bit of taxiing, isn't he, to me? I'd love to have seen a live car repair on air. Crossy, yeah. when you look at what Matt just said about that, They've not done too badly uh, with a forty thousand seat stadium. That's that's a fair comment. But yeah, when you look at the money that he's loaned the club over the two nineteen years. Yeah, it, yeah. Equates, it equates to about ninety million pound a year. So you've got to ask the question: Where would Chelsea be if Abramovich hadn't been so generous in terms of his loans? Mm. You know, mm. who, who is someone prepared to buy that club for X amount of billions, whatever, and? Investing it as much as Abramovich did. That's a big question, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is you know, it's, no, it's I, a I, difficult one. Do you take Andy, do you take do you take anything positive from from the Abramovich era? And obviously I don't mean Chelsea because it's been unprecedented success. But when I say that, I mean, you know, I mean Jeremy referred to, you know to it before, but I sort of sometimes point to you know, he was an owner 
that, that did quite a lot during the pandemic, you know, opening the, mm. the hotel, um, you know, as, as, as just one, as one example, you know, he's done anti-Semitism, you know, conferences and, and let's be honest here, you know, anti-Semitic abuse is a major thing in my view in, in London football and few clubs want to sort of kind of take it on and tackle it. Well, they've done that. And, you know, I, uh, the other thing is that have they have they in, in raised the bar, if you like, because we certainly found it unsavoury at first, the money that was being, you know, as David Dean famously said, did the Russians are on the lawn basically yeah. firing out £50 notes, yeah. you know. Um, but did that in any way, did that ultimately have a positive effect in any way by raising the bar in, in the Premier League? How, how do you see his legacy? Well, I do. As, on a football I, 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 sense, I, I, in a football sense, I must stress. Well, in, in, you know. in, a, in, in a football sense, I think, you know, the only legacy you can say is that is he bankrolled, you know, some good football teams that were, that, that were quite good to watch, you know, and, mm. and bankrolled eras that were quite fun to watch. You know, there's no doubt mm. about it. The, the, you know, the Jose Marino era, certainly the first one was was fun. It was, you know, mm. it was knockabout stuff. It was fun. It was good football, et cetera, et cetera. The thing with the legacy, John, is that how do we know? The fact of the matter is from day one, he has been, and this isn't just a journalist's point of view. This isn't just a media gripe. From day one, he's just he's just been opaque. You just can't see through him. We don't know the guy. We just yeah. do not know the guy. You know, I mean, he has, from day one, there has been no one's heard of him, you know. I mean, do you know what you know, we barely know what his voice sounds like? So how can a guy be that secretive? Be that now, I'm I'm not saying he should be out doing interviews every other day, but if you're the public figure as he is when he takes ownership of a, of of a of an entity like Chelsea Football Club, then we we, we I, I can't judge his legacy because I don't know that you, I, I don't know anything about the guy really. I hear that he's done this, I hear that he's done that. Even this statement about the sale is, is you know, has a, an element of uncertainty, of mystery to it. We don't know, you know, what his intentions are. And I just think, and then on the on the football side, in terms of purely football side, you know, he talks about the passion for the game, about the passion for Chelsea. You know, basically what he's just done is is employ a series of of managers an awful lot of money and a series of players and he's just basically you know bought success mm. now is that a great legacy for football the buying success era I'm not sure it is mm. now listen you know I've enjoyed watching Chelsea the teams over the last over his era but I don't think he's he's leaving any sort of legacy that, that we can look back on with any particular fondness no. I'll tell you what Crossy what the legacy probably is when you scratch beneath the surface is that it's taught. It's, what his regime has taught us is that how people are willing to forgive and forget anything, pretty much, if if some bloke can, you know, win them loads of trophies. Well, Jeremy, I have to say, I was at Luton last night, and from the first minute to the last, you know, news has obviously filtered through to the to the away mm. end about Abramovich's statement. They're they're singing his name, yeah. you know, and then basically yeah. you, you see it and. And I have to say, I think it's, listen, I, I'm actually, I think I'm probably, I don't know, a bit more balanced than some. Um, I'm not I'm not saying that they're not, you know, questioning people's right to, 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 to criticise or anything, but um, not at all, because obviously, you, you know, that's, as has been borne out in the last uh, 
last few weeks. But I just think that, blimey, I don't know that you, uh, you know, it, I found it staggering that some kind of high profile Chelsea fans on, on Twitter can just basically talk just solely about him as a football owner mm. and not then say just he's been the most incredible but, owner but, ever but, and the most incredible success. Well, yes, but what about the other stuff? You know, it well, always has to come with the, with the, caveat doesn't it well all supporters see is trophies yeah. that's all they bothered yeah. about being successful and crikey they have been really successful you know he's brought some of the best managers in the world to that club the, like Andy said the Mourinho era is fascinating to see you know he came into English football Mourinho didn't he the special one and hmm. changed the game really started winning everything and um, you know they've been European champions twice I mean Man United of, of all, for all their history and standing in the game they've only won it three times yeah. So, you know, in the last 20 years, Chelsea have won, won two European Cups, and that is the pinnacle for any fan to win that trophy, along with the Premier League, of course. So that's all they see. They want to just see trips to Wembley. They want to see trips around Europe, winning stuff. But, but you can't, as, as journalists, we have to look at the other side of the picture, and it's a dark, it is a dark one. Yeah. Andy, the um, Abramovich story, uh, I think, was going to rumble on and on. When will sanctions start? I mean, blimey, if you listen to the Labour MP, Chris Bryant, who's obviously calling for, Bryant, for, yeah. for those to and questioning his right to even still be owner of, of Chelsea Football Club, which at this, this moment in time he, he is. But one thing is for, is for certain, it, 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 the, the government are moving very quickly onto Alish Usmanov, aren't they? Basically seizing, you know, and, 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 and cutting down. Is that... Why? Why? It seems strange that basically one is being, you know, uh, sort of targeted very, very quickly, and the other one is not. I mean, it's 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 a strange one, or you know. Well, I mean, listen, we're 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 no experts in 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 who's. I, I assume they're they're going outwards from the inner circle to the outer circle. I assume there is some, you know, they have evidence that Uzmanov. Is a closer tie to Putin than than Brownvich is, mm. you know, who's always denied he's, he's any sort of tie. So um, I guess that's why he's been targeted. I mean, that has ramifications. You know, Uzmanov, Uzmanov, of course, is, is 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 saying that this is wrong, as he would say. But of course, you know, I mean, going away from Chelsea, then the Uzmanov sanctions have huge implications for Everton, where I'm going to tonight. You know, and I'll, and I'll go there tonight, and the, the big megaphone um, livery on the outside of Goodison Park will be gone. Wow. You know, and Finch Farm will no longer be the USM Holdings Finch Farm training complex. And um, Megaphone will no longer appear on the jerseys of the Everton women's team. Mm. I don't underestimate how huge an issue this is going to be for Everton. They say mm. it's not going to affect the new stadium. They say, you know, um, the the impact will be limited. But, you know, my word, this is going to be serious implications. Because don't forget as well, you know, what hasn't been said, for example, again, this this is such a complex issue. What hasn't been said about Everton is that no matter what you decide is Uzmanov's um, influence at the club. Mm. Um, and there was a story, of course, uh, I think it was in the Telegraph, uh, the suggestion that he actually accidentally apparently happened to be on the call when Frank Lampard was appointed. Um, something that, again, uh, I think Frank denies or or denies some versions of that story. But there is no denying the fact that Farhad Mashiri is an extremely close business associate of Alicia Usmanov. 
You know, I mean, I mean, that's fact. That's that. That's record. We, we know that. So when sanctions start going outwards, when sanctions start going right, so so I assume they've sanctioned who they believe are Putin's most uh, trusted oligarchs, and I assume Usmanov is counted as one of those. Then they'll start going out to others, and they will go out and out. You know, they will expand sanctions day by day, and eventually it will go to oligarchs' associates. I'm I'm, mm. I'm saying that. To, to their lawyers, to their facilitators, you know, and the and, and this is going to have big implications. It's got a big implications for Everton. I mean, absolutely no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. This will have huge implications for Everton as well. And as I say, it, it, it then just, I mean, what Jeremy referred to earlier I, I, about how how then you, you go on as a club. You know, where do Everton find um, the money that is going to be leaving them because if they can no longer um, be sponsored by Usmanov companies, you know, and let's face it, a twenty million pound, whatever it is, sponsorship deal for Everton's training ground is enormous. You know, I mean, I don't see anyone else coming up with that sort of dough to sponsor that sort of establishment. So that's going to leave, and the same way, you know, as Chelsea, because don't forget, these were all, you know, you know, the Chelsea, the Chelsea situations, they were all employed by Abramovich, you know, and they're all mm. paid X pounds. Is new one going to do it? It's it's going to be complex, but you know, again, you just come back to the fact that if 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 a club such as Chelsea suffer because of because of what's happened, then it's actually you know in the grand scheme of life, it's still a small thing to you know to, a small price to pay. The thing yeah. is, Crossy Abramovich, you know, he barely uttered a word to anyone for nineteen years. We've had two statements from him in less than a week, you know, and he's so desperate to get shut of Chelsea as quickly as he can that he's he's essentially on the run. You know, it's it, like Andy said, it's a fire sale of his assets. Mm. But but you know, does does this Tory government have have the, have the courage to to stop? I mean, essentially. Abramovich has now been allowed in, in broad daylight to move his money around, and Boris Johnson doesn't appear to be doing much about it. Now, I, mm. I, I personally think that's wrong. And also, you know, it's no secret that a lot of these Russian oligarchs have, have funded the Tory party. So, you know, that probably comes into the equation. It's a, like Andy said, it's a very complex situation, and it will be a game changer for football in this country for certain clubs. But ultimately, you know, in the scheme of life and what's going on in, in the Ukraine, does it, does it matter? Does it, does it count for anything? I mean, you know, there's far more important things going on in the world right now. Yeah, there is. Yeah. What, what do you Where think is everybody going? We're bound. It's down. Yeah, to- it's, a, it's, it's just double the two cross. of us. Just it's the two cross. of us. Yeah. Double cross. Absolutely. Oh, mate, we could, we can make it if we try. <laughs> um, I, I, the, the other thing is, you know, I mean, football has responded. I mean, uh, blimey, you, you you know, you've been at games, you, you've seen support, yeah. so have I, uh, basically Ukrainian flags that so emotional, wasn't it, at Goodison? Um, it yeah. was, you know, incredible support shown on display at Wembley where we both were on Sunday. I was at Peterborough and, you know, that, that was... Uh, that was emotional towards Zinchenko, the support there, which I'm sure he would have felt and, you know, this overwhelming feeling. But where, you know, football has been almost forced into it a bit. Fair play, UEFA actually were quite, were, were quicker off the mark than FIFA, frankly, weren't they? Moving the Champions League final, uh, Champions League final shutting down, um, you know, their, their tie-ups with Gazprom. 
FIFA slower to respond, but have eventually kicked it, effectively kicked them out of the World Cup and out of world football. Has football done enough? I think, I think, look, like you say, UEFA were quick off the mark, weren't they? And I thought they were decisive in mm. what they did. Um, they led the way. Uh, obviously, Infantino has also has, you know, a close link to uh, Putin it was was slightly slower off the mark in terms of allowing Russia to still compete in um, in competitions, albeit under a, a different name and without the flag and the anthem. But I think eventually FIFA saw sense and and joined forces with UEFA to do you know what what the maximum punishment can be from a footballing perspective. That is basically to throw all Russian teams, club and national, out of competition. Um, so they won't get the chance to qualify for the World Cup. Teams, Sparta and Moscow got thrown out of the Europa League. They've done everything they can, you know, and this is it's been a ripple effect throughout sport. I know obviously football is the most high-profile sort of vehicle for this sort of thing, but, you know, we've seen the IOC come out and ban Russian athletes mm-hmm. as well. So in terms of football, yeah, it's done It's it's done as much as it can. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the game for what it's, how it's reacted to, you know, what is clearly a desperate situation in Eastern Europe. Yeah, Andy, what do you do? You think it's done enough? Well, yeah. yeah listen, there's, there's no doubt that the, the FIFA were were you know very slow, dreadfully slow in, in a way to to take um, to take any action. It, it's, it's I think across sports, you know, I think to cut to cut any authorities a little bit of slack is that is is that you know there are there are things in place that are. There are regulations, there are legal situations in place. Listen, the bottom line is, we all know at the end, and, and this has been shown particularly with the U-turn overnight from the International Paralympic Committee to ban Russian athletes from mm. the Paralympic, um, Winter Olympics, Winter Paralympics. You know, in the end, you know, they are, they are, they are, they are going to be pariahs of sports. You know, they're not going to be welcome a- a- anywhere. You know, we have a situation now in, in Formula One where, you know, Motorsport UK, you know, it will not have any Russian drivers or Belarusian drivers here, which 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 obviously um, affects Formula One. They haven't yet, though, introduced that as a blanket thing. But individual nations will, and eventually that will happen, and eventually it will come down to teams themselves, won't it? You know, they they just, you know, the regulatory bodies are they do have, um, you know, they they do have red tape. Let's put it that way, for for want of a better word, because what you know, what what the hell does red tape matter at a time like mm. this? But it will also be down to individual teams. So when Poland, Sweden, you know, um, and turn around and say, well, well, we're not we're not going to play Russia. That's as simple as that. Teams won't play Russia. So the FA can come out and say, well, we're not going to play, you know, Russia. In the end, you know, the bodies and and the way football has responded, yeah, I mean, it, it's. It's how I'd expect it to. It's how I'd expect any right-minded person to to do. Mm, yeah, that was a lovely touch. Uh, you were obviously at Peterborough the other night. Lovely touch from Fernandinho to give the armband to. Yeah, it was. To Zinchenko was clearly going through, you know, a horrendous time in his private life because he's got lots of family back in the Ukraine. So that, I thought that was a really good thing to do. Yeah, mm. I thought it was. I thought it was good that the Premier League, are, you know, are doing something this weekend as sort of yeah. kind of a unified front. You know, the captain's armbands in the colours of Ukraine. You know, messages on big screens, advertising boards. Um, you know that period of reflection, as I think, as I think it's being called before kickoff. I, I think it'll, you know, I think it'll be highly visible, and I think it'll be noticeable. And I don't think uh, 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 someone's got a friend in in Ukraine swapping regular messages at the moment. I don't think we should underestimate just 
how yeah. much they feel that support is nice. You know, I think people, you know, might look and say, oh, kind of what does it mean? Well, yeah, what does it mean? But I'll tell you one thing, they do, you know, she's certainly taken a lot of comfort from the support that has been offered from back here, which is yeah. which is nice, you know. I, I think that's the two elements to it. You know, sport, you know, can can give that support, but also it can, in a small way, try and influence, you know, what is going, going on. I mean, it seems a strange thing to say because, you know, any idea that directly um, Putin is going to be thinking, oh, 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 look, you know, we're not holding the Champions League final in St. Petersburg anymore or, or our tennis players can't do this or our footballers can't do that. It's clearly going to, you know, cut no ice with him, is it? But commercially, you know, Russia is very, very heavily invested in sports, in all sports, very heavily invested in, you know, I mean, simple things like television, broadcasting deals, Commercially, you know, we all know the names of the commercial companies who are involved in football from Russia. We should know because they, you know, they're, they're, they're basically ran down our throats sort of every week when we watch football. All of this has got to be, you know, cut out of the game, cut yeah, out of it. They've got to be made to look like pariahs and they've got to have that commercial involvement in, in, in all sport taken away from them. And then it might have an effect economically because clearly, you know, it's not football doing its bit is fantastic. But you know, it's it, it's it's clearly only have, will only have a very minimal effect on the actual ideology of, of those who are creating who've who've invaded the Ukraine. Now let's. Um, sometimes it feels it's such a big issue that it's it's difficult to talk football afterwards. So let's draw a line. Here and then move on. Move on to the football. It's probably worth drawing that line because everything else feels so inconsequential by comparison. If you see what I mean. So it's almost the second half of the show, um, uh, really. Um, listen, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that we can probably show Alan Chamberlain, our old friend Alan Chamberlain's message, because the way way he starts it, and uh, but basically he's talking, yeah. trying to sort of talk about Chris Kavanagh and and that decision, that handball. We, we might not show your first bit of the message, Alan. That's not the quite the uh, the thing, but basically he's suggesting that that basic that decision has skewered the title race. Um, I mean, guys, what I mean, blimey, it was the clearest penalty, surely. And I can't believe VAR didn't didn't intervene. We've had an apology since. Does an apology make up for it? Does an what 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 sort of weight does a, do apologies give? Do, do they give any consolation or comfort to 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 anyone? Should they be done? Or you no, know, it's, I, it's, I mean, Mike Riley, we very rarely hear from. You know. He, he, he ducks and dives. He runs. He runs these referees. Um, he was an ex-referee himself. Mm. Barely hear from him. So the fact that he's had to come out and apologise <laughs> speaks volumes of how horrendous that decision was. I mean, mm. and, you know, we, we don't know if Chelsea, sorry, if if City would have still won that game or drawn yeah. it. We'll never know, and we'll never know really if it's cost Liverpool a chance to um, to catch City. But the fact is. You know, that's just a basic decision that, that like Frank Lampard yeah. said, his, his, his daughter could have made that decision. And, you know... And she's just, two. She's two. It's just so <laughs> damning. Three. It's just so damning. right. Okay, fair enough. I don't Sorry. know. It, it's yeah. so damning of the standards we, we have to put up with uh, of officiating in what is the richest league in the world, yeah. the best league in the world, with the best players. And, you know... We just can't get the basics right, and it's just not yeah. good enough. And Kavanaugh will be refereeing a game this weekend. 
no doubt, you know, he won't be punished. And, you know, it's I've, just, I've, I haven't looked to see on the, on the list. But, Jeremy, I totally agree with you. One thing that really, really winds me up and getting on my soapbox here is that basically, is, you know, everyone says, oh, VAR, what's the point? Honestly, it really annoys me that because the point of VAR is cutting out those mistakes. Yes, it hasn't cut that out on that one, you know, um, on this occasion. But frankly, you know, these these referees, you know, the, the equipment is only good as the as good as the people operating it. And I just cannot understand why people can't see that. Well, the technology is not the problem. No, exactly. It's people operating it's, the technology. It's this generation of refs. You know, yeah. it's this generation of refs, and it's crazy. I, I, I don't understand why we've suddenly got this, you know, really poor generation. You know, there's a few exceptions. Please don't get me wrong. I, you know, I think Michael Oliver, this is, well, familiar names, isn't it? You know, it's kind of, you know, Anthony Taylor. It's, it's, But, I mean, I just don't understand how suddenly Paul Tierney is being promoted to, maybe it's a bit unfair to, sort of pick on him so much, but Paul you know Tierney, people, Stuart Atwell suddenly getting the big games. What? People, what? People, people, say, people say these referees, you know, they're on a hiding to nothing. You know, it, it must be, you know, really difficult refereeing a big, big game like, you know, Liverpool, Man United or mm. whatever. But they're actually, that's their job. They're well paid yeah. for that job. You know, a lot of these referees earn six-figure salaries and, you know, you expect a better standard. You expect them to do the jobs yeah. correctly and it's not good enough. And, you know, we have to look at the whole system in terms of how they come through the system, how they reach certain levels, like FIFA levels, because it's not working. Because they they are they are getting the badges, and they are not they are not as good as they think they are. Yeah. yeah. You, you know what though? I just I mean I'm not. Listen, I, I wrote to you the other day about how you know Everton didn't need an apology. You know they needed an explanation on how this could happen. How on earth can it have happened? Because you know. We're not talking. We're talking about. It doesn't matter how competent or not you you think, say Chris Cavanagh or Paul Tierney are. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that even if they were just you know making a decision, even if they were lower grade referees, you know, you didn't have to be a high grade referee to recognise that was a handball. Sure. You know, so they must have. So there must have been a reason why they didn't, why he didn't give it. So what's the explanation? Why? And you know what? Just to the only thing I can think of. And by the way, I, I don't believe they should be apologising for anything, by the way, because, you know, I mean, football clubs don't come out and apologise when their players cheat and con referees and dive and react and whatever. So I'm not having that at all. You know, the apology is absolutely nonsense. You know, they've got something wrong. You know, explain why it went wrong. And I've just been rummaging around in my bin, actually. That's why I was a bit active there, trying to find Tuesday's Daily Mirror. And I think Stan Collymore right, right. actually... Right. Great. I think Stan Collymore, I've got, I've got Jeremy writing about Jesse Marshy, then the first day. But anyway, we'll we'll move on to Stan Collymore. And I wanted to find this because it's to me, it's the only explanation is that over the years, handball, the handball rule, apparently, the handball law has changed so much and, and so many different interpretations from what should be a simple rule has basically muddled referees' thinking. I mean, you know, so, so Stan actually says, you know, basically it should, it, handball, he says, should be defined as, as a deliberate attempt by a player to move an arm towards the ball in an unnatural manner, which seeks to create an unfair advantage or stop the ball from travelling in its natural course. And that is, is, is a simple rule that it should be for handball. Yeah. Instead, we get given, we get this idea of, well, is it below or above the T-shirt line? 
we have we have this idea of you know all this idea of is it in a natural position is it arm in a natural position is it not is does it contribute towards someone scoring a goal or it move and essentially you we've got so many you know different interpretations of handball we we, we literally have gone from season to season we've seen handballs one season that are not handballs the next it's as simple as that we've seen it I mean I, I remember you, you know I can't remember who it was it might have been Bolly who scored a goal for Wolves you know that came off someone else's hand in the build up and the goal was allowed but then now that's not allowed or is that allowed I can't remember it, it's and I just think that that element uh, I, listen there's, there's no excuse for them getting that decision wrong at Goodison Park but I do think sometimes we just make the rules a little bit too complicated for our own good and you know, I mean, I'm sure you guys agree. You've seen different interpretations of what is and what isn't handball. Whereas fundamentally, if you didn't even have any interpretations from IFAB, we'd all know what handball and what isn't, wouldn't we? Yeah, really. I mean, you all know what handball and what isn't. I mean, me and Jen were in a game the other day at uh, Allen Road. Um, no, maybe, maybe no, it wasn't a game. So, sorry, mate. It, it was Man City Spurs, and yeah. when. I think it was Morris who crossed it. Um, the Spurs defender, you know, he slid in. I mean, the ball was clearly going to hit him in the face. So he blocks it with his hands. And you can tell straight away that was handball. In the end, it had to be referred from a VAR. But, you know, you know what's handball and what isn't. And I just think the referees, as I say, I'm not excusing them. I'm just trying to explain, which they should have tried to explain, why they got that one so horribly wrong. I mean, football essentially is quite a simple game, isn't it? Yes, you know why? I'm why are we? Why are we real. complicating it so much? It's just ruining the spectacle. You know, yeah. know what I mean? And, and the whole handball thing—it's it, like you know. I, I mean, we are—you know—in our lifetime, we've seen defending change completely. You know, when when we now see you know the exaggerated lengths the players go to to defend with their hands behind their backs. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, clasping their hands behind their backs. You know, and let's this, this, this face it, we've all played. Um, we've all, you know, we're all of, of an age where we've seen that development. You know, it, it's unnatural. You know, if you're closing someone down, someone who's about to get across him, and, you know, the idea that you, you, you're you defending upright with your hands behind your back, then it's, you know, so you're getting into all that caveat. What's natural, what's unnatural? Listen, instinctively, if you're ever, you should know what's handball and what isn't handball. Simple mm. as that. Yeah, no, I do agree. I do think that basically it was pro- probably brought in some time ago, wasn't it, when we had so much dispute about, yeah. you know, what was accidental, where where it was and what, you know, and, and I just think we didn't have nearly as many, you know, debate. Yes, we had the odd debate, but we didn't have as many as this. It's just taken away that, that, that common mm. sense and it's trying to decide the game for the referees and, and I think that's a I think that's a real shame. But I do feel as if, like you know, we, we pride ourselves on having the best league in the world, and our our standards at the yes. moment are, are just so well below. We're, we're making ourselves the laughing stock amongst the kind of global football community in the way that we sort of think we are the best. And yet, the reality is that referees around the world think, well, the Premier League's really poor. You know, it really is. It's it's a sorry, sorry state of affairs. But listen, I uh, you know the 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 FA Cup we've had so far this season, uh, this week, I should say. I mean, Chelsea. You know, we've probably touched on enough. You know, going through against Luton last night made hard work of it. Liverpool cruised, cruised through a a a you know a win 
obviously also for uh, Southampton, you know. So it's kind of, it's, we're building up quite a stellar, uh, Man City, obviously, at Peterborough, we're building up quite a stellar quarterfinals lineup, aren't we? Again? With the exception of Tottenham. Oh, Tottenham, yeah. yes, of course, which I was, which I was, uh, which I was going to come on to because simply because it throws it open. But it is, you know, it, it's been a good week overall, isn't it? And and maybe the best story of all is slightly almost got lost as I've, I've appeared to do there myself, really. But Tottenham losing at Middlesbrough, I mean, blimey, it's that was a hell of, hell of an upset, wasn't it? Really, I mean, it's it, you know, it, it was it was still a shock, and it means then that Spurs. Are going thirteen years without a trophy, which is well, be fourteen. Uh, right? 15, sorry, yeah, fifteen years, isn't it? Because they can't win a trophy until twenty twenty three, which yes. is amazing. The morning also, before the game, you know. Sorry, the morning before the game on, on Monday morning, I, I happened to be in London for for a couple of days. I went down for my breakfast on Monday morning in my um, London hotel. And there's Antonio Conte having his um, having his well, breakfast. He was pleased to see you, Andy. Yes, he's delighted, absolutely delighted. <laughs> Come and join me. <laughs> anyway, so but there he was. It just got me thinking, and, and obviously he, he's resident in this particular um, hotel. Um, and, and I did think well, it's been a while since he joined. He's still um, he's still in the hotel. I mean, why wouldn't you sort of live up in this in the suite of a plush London hotel for a while? Excuse, but me, did, excuse me, Andy. Let's just rewind there. So you know. You, uh, are they paying you too much, or how comes you're staying there? Holiday, it's holiday, it's holiday. You, you, you know my motto, pal: never take a freebie. That's, that's I've always lived by how that. Um, how much was the breakfast motto? in this hotel? Sorry, how much was the breakfast in this hotel? It was included. Listen, it, it, it was it was included. I was going to name a particular make of hotel. Then it, it was included. It was included in the rate and. I um, assume it wasn't a sort of a buffet, you know, sort of operation. Well, it was. I, you know what? I mean, I mean, interestingly, it was a buffet operation, but um, as befitting, whereas I had to, you know, queue up to get my uh, sausage and black pudding, um, Antonio one didn't. He, he had his breakfast brought to him, and as I say, and his looked considerably healthier than my full English. Let me tell you, um, <laughs> but he didn't have just... black pudding, did he? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Granola, granola all the way, surely. Granola. I think it was, yes, yeah, and, yeah. and a strong coffee, which which which, which he could have probably done with the day, the morning after the Millsville game. <laughs> but no, it did just get me thinking. I wasn't just mentioning that for nothing. It did get me thinking, you know, again. Once again, about like you know what is going to be the the, the longevity of Conte's stay at Spurs. That, that's what got me thinking. Um, I think he did mention it. Um, Christian Eriksen's in the same hotel as it happens, but um, um, you're going to get this through on expenses at this rate, pal. I mean, you know, the head, the head of sport, a regular listener. I mean, if he's listening, surely, surely, oh, a family, a family room. You could have seen by, by the end of the show, aren't we? How the other half live? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. And no, and strange enough, do you, do you, on, I mean, just totally going off on the tangents. On the Saturday morning, I was there. Gareth Edwards was was on the next table. Oh, hey, on a minute, Gareth. He stayed there the whole week. No, it's only a couple of days. And <laughs> and 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 a great rugby league who turned rugby union player, probably one of the greatest converts. Jason Robinson was also there. Really, Blimey. Billy Wiz, as a, a, a as, as he was known, yes. But anyway, but anyway I digress. Well, it gets gets thinking about how long Conte is going to be around for, which which seems to be a weekly conversation, doesn't it? 
you know, and with every result like they had on Tuesday, it'll be the same conversation, you know, how long, and maybe, I think he, I think he explained that that is maybe one of his strategies, you know, the outburst after the defeat at Turf Moor, you know, looks like a, a sort of petulant sort of knee-jerk reaction, but apparently, apparently it's not, it's apparently it's, a, it's designed to get something out of his players. But, you know, that's a big, big, um, and it's almost been, almost been sort of, I don't know, not under, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically understated how big a blow that is really to Tottenham. That's, you know, this is a competition they can win. Well, it's not now, obviously, but it was a competition. Well, it slightly got lost, didn't it? It slightly got lost in the headlines about Zinchenko and about sort of kind of obviously the ongoing crisis. Um, Yeah, and understandably so, but, you know, that that is, I mean, we saw, you know, we saw at the Etihad what, um, what Spurs are capable of, even capable of, even though in a way that was what you might call slightly a sort of not freakish, but you know, slightly unusual results in the way they played. They can't play against ev- ev- everyone like they played against City, which is sit back and just rely on the counter attack. However, it did show in a one-off game, as they've shown, having beaten City home and away, and had good results against other elite teams. You know, yeah. that was a competition they could have won. And 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 that, and, and that is a real blow to him. It really is. Yeah. So, and a real blow to him. still be at Tottenham come the start of next season. Do I? I don't. I don't, actually. I really don't. I, I you know. There's this constant debate, isn't there, about, about why on earth he took it in the first place. He must have known what he's getting into. What's his game? You know, I was talking to a former... Spurs player, you know, the other night, and they're actually sort of funny enough, a sort of sort of former Spurs manager last night, and they're just both are just a bit can't quite believe that, you know, it's it's, you know, what's going on basically, you know, another someone else I was talking to this week sort of saying there's so many problems behind the scenes, and I just ah oh, blimey, it's just it's it's crazy really the cane uncertainty, you know, will he be there? Will the manager be there? What's Conte's game plan? You know, because he can't, he cannot. He, I, I refuse to believe that Conte went in thinking they're going to sign the biggest stars in January and turn this around. You know, well, what he knew we, what he was signing up for, and I just don't understand his motive. Is... Maybe he thought I could change, I can convince Levy and go in yeah. a different direction. But this what is we, Conte. I love Conte. Is what the vision Daniel Levy is. Gave mm. to Conte when he when he got him to take the job. We'll, we'll never know that, will we? But you know, we won't I'd love to know what he said to him because yeah, I mean, yeah. it's clear his link is with Paratici, isn't it? The sporting yeah. director there. But he, equally, yeah, I just don't, I just don't, I can't quite understand it because I think Conte's a genius, and the, the, the fact that Spurs got him is the biggest, you know, coup of the season, frankly, in managerial terms, and. You got to seize that opportunity, you know. If you if you're Tottenham, give him what he wants. But at the moment, it feels like he's petering out. If you're Harry Kane, you you want it out in the summer, aren't you? Because it's just another, yeah. another season's rolled on. He's not won anything. Not come close to winning anything. You know, he's nearly he's knocking on for thirty Kane. Mm. You know, mm, if, yeah. if, if that player finishes his career without winning winning anything, that'd be an absolute travesty. He's such a wonderful, such player. a good player, yeah. such a good player. I tell you, there's always this discussion, isn't there, amongst fans? Oh, journalists get carried away with Harry Kane, make to hype him up too much, or whatever. <laughs> Harry Kane probably thinks journalists don't give him enough credit, but um, but I um, you know, I think in that in that potted ninety minutes of that City game, 
it showed the genius of Kane. Because Kane has evolved into a fantastic goal scorer, but also a great That's goal that. supplier. Yeah. What a, um, he's the quarterback, isn't he? He's the quarterback. He's the offensive well. quarterback. He's a you know, strong Pep, Pep spent most of the last summer trying to sign him. Yeah. He, 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 it's a sign of a really good player when he knows he's going up against a Guardiola team, a manager that wants to sign him or probably still does want to sign him, and he can really turn it on like that and put on a show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And a special yeah, mention for Chris Wilder, by the way. Yes, please do. Yes. They've beaten Man United and now Spurs. Fair play to him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Superb. Absolutely astonishing, isn't it? You know, so he's... he's, he's uh, Great, great effort, really. Um, it is. I mean, it, it will be. I mean, I, I, and it's great, but it will be inevitably. Though it, it is funny how, 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 like, you know, we will probably gravitate towards the big guns um, again, can't we? Mm. Well, the thing is, it's been a great competition, hasn't it, this year? Because <laughs> seen some wonderful shot results. You know, we have got Bournemouth playing at Everton yeah. tonight. Yes. You know, I know. I mean, no one's going to give them a chance of beating Everton, but just imagine if they did and they got through. Yeah. And yeah. then, you, like Andy said, you, you can see the big guns sort of just get, doing what they've got to do to get through, and it'll probably end up with a, a glamour final again, like the similar final to what we saw last week yeah. with Chelsea and Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And what a game that was, by the way. Best nil-nil I've seen in years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, it, it, that, you know, I didn't see the game. I was off um, on, on, on Sunday, but, but I do want to mention something about that. And also, this applies to the FA Cup as well. And it's a... An old chestnut beef of mine, you know. Why do bigger clubs so and, and, and this 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 refers to? I'll tell you what. I mean, I'll come here from. Let's do it from the EFL, the Carabao Cup final angle. You know, Kepa coming on as as a substitute keeper. You know, I just found it. You know that I found they got their just desserts for that Chelsea, and it was. Oh, yeah, I, I found it funny to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, because why? What he came on as their fifth substitute. You know, and I thought these five substitutes were supposed to be there for player welfare, not so you could be some smart Alec coach who brings on a substitute Good keeper point. two minutes at a time. I mean, where I mean, where was always well, we want five subs, one player off it. No, you want them because you want to be a smart Alec who brings on a substitute keeper to try and save penalties. That's not why substitutes were ever around. Substitutes, you know, were only ever brought into football to to basically allow teams to replace injured players. There was a time when you couldn't, you know, as, as relatively recently as the early 60s, you know, when you had, when, when you basically had 11 players, if someone got injured, then tough. So they brought in one substitute who could replace an injured player, and then it, that, that's increased. You know, but now we've got so many subs, a manager can actually be, you know, try and be, be overly smart and bring on a keeper you know, a minute before the end of extra time to save penalties, bring on a special team as you were, as though it's American football. And I found it. I'm sorry, I feel sorry for Kepe, but I found it hilarious. And 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 and, and then I go on to, to to the other bit about the subs is why big teams now in cup competitions is I think back to um, to West Ham against Kidderminster, yeah. And David yeah. Moyes sends out his team right, and in the second half he brings on five substitutes right and. You know, that, again, why? Because he's thinking about his play welfare. No, because his team are playing rubbish and are getting are getting done by a non-league team. He has the he, he then, as if it's not hard enough for a non-league team, he can then bring on Declan Rice. He can bring on Four Niles. He can bring on Lanzini. I can't remember who exactly came on, but certainly Rice was amongst them. How's that fair? I mean, how's that? Yeah. How is that? Fair? 
So anyway, that's no, that's it. That is, no, that is a very, 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 very fair comment, I must say. And I have to say, <laughs> it was brought crashing back down to earth. Wasn't it? I mean, there was an amazing moment. Uh, people, you know, he has been amazing in, in, in shootouts, so we shouldn't lose sight of this. I mean, you know, because I think basically, what was it? Three, four years ago, that basically he was the one that refused to come off, and now they're they're they're, they're the ones that bring him on because he's he's so. What, the what turnaround in his that is remarkable. What sort of message oh, does that send to you? Number one, I goal? think Mendy Mendy's accepted it. It's pre-planned. They've talked about it before the game. Yeah, people are going crazy because you know Mendy, which only adds into Andy's point. Do you know what? Because. Uh, people going crazy. What does that say about Mendy? And Mendy's had this incredible game, which he made some sensational saves. But basically, they've all signed up to it because they basically they they think between them two, Shaw Kepper Mendy, that basically Kepper's the best, you know, penalty saver. I mean, it's just it is remarkable. And so you are remarkable. bringing on a specialist, almost American football style. Exactly. Mate. At the end of that, it's a, it's a very very cynical use of those those five subjects. And also, Charlie, you agree, which I have to say was then humiliated by that amazing Van Dyke penalty because basically it was comical. I thought that basically Kepper is standing over in one side of the goal. Trying to tempt Van Dyke into smack, you know, putting it the other side. Oh, go on then, you know, I'll, 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 I'll mess with your head. Basically, you know, put it over there. And what does Van Dyke do? Smashes it straight down Kepper's throat, and Kepper still can't get near it. Can't oh, it was get it. Absolutely hilarious. One of the moments of the weekend. You, you also, know what, John, just, to, just going to say, um, that's a really great point Andy's made about the welfare manager's neglect of this welfare claim because, like he said, his braces made a tactical substitution there by swapping goalies. We've kept on a player who you wrote about earlier this week who suffered a really bad injury to a rather sensitive part of his body, played him for full 90 minutes and extra yeah. time, and then he scored a penalty. He's kept him on, knowing yeah. he's, you know, he's probably in a lot of pain, and then not taking him off, and he's made a, and then made a substitution that really counted for nothing in the end and was just a a selfish indulgence from Tuchel, really. Guys, we're going to finish on the Manchester derby and everything that that, that, that means, really. I mean, City, you know, re-establishing six points. Yes, we know that Liverpool got the, 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 got the game in hand, but... Um, you know, wh- wh- where does that, uh, you know, where is where is the mix-up? And then also, you know, it's always, always an acid test for, for Man United, isn't it, really? Where do they stand against Man City? Well, a long way behind is your first answer. But also, Ranyet, you know, how do we judge Ranyet? And kind of, you know, wh- where they where they stand in the great scheme of things. Blimey, there's more managers being linked this morning, isn't there? And it's um, just because it feels like... <laughs> Raniak's so far away from being a contender, it's not true. But actually, the results haven't been too bad. So I don't know what that says about, about United performances. <laughs> well, look, he's 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 coming to firefight, Ralph, Ralph Raniak, can he? Or Ricky, sure. as we, we he's now called by the media. But um, you, you alluded to this. Manchester United measure their standards against two teams, Liverpool and Man City. Mm. The Liverpool rival is le- legendary. City are now, you know top dogs and neighbours. So they measure their progress against those two teams. And, you know, we've seen Man United take some hidings off Liverpool and uh, and City in the past. 
And it'll be the same again on at the weekend. You know, if, if City, I fully expect City to win, you know, I don't, I don't buy into this, you know, it's a leveller because it's a local derby. Because if you look at the two teams, one's riding the crest of a wave, barring the odd blip, and probably will win the title, in my opinion. And the other's just floundering around, really, treading water, trying to just get in the top four, which is a damning sort of indictment of where United are at the minute. So, you know, um, you know, it's a mess at United. We talk about it every week and nothing ever changes. Um, you know, we, they had a conference call, Richard Arnold, the new CEO, it was, um, they announced the latest financial results this week and yeah. Richard Arnold had to, had to speak to investors. And it's the same rhetoric that comes out every time with the United. We're in a great place financially. You know, we're putting the building blocks in place for a brighter future. Jeremy, were you on that? Were you on that? I listened in on it, yeah. And it's just, yeah. it's just I mean, look, if you've done one of those, you've done a hundred because it's the sure. same old same old rubbish every time. You know? Yeah. You just hear words that don't really but mean anything. But it's a new voice, all. isn't it? It is a new voice. Did, did, yeah. What was your, what was your yeah, impression? It is a new voice, but he's, he's, you know, this guy, Richard Arnold, is cut from the same cloth, and, cloth as the guys is, is succeeded. So, mm. you know, they are very close. They've worked together for a long time. They are like two peas in a pod, and I don't expect drastic changes in the running of Manchester United just because Ed Woodward's left and um, Richard Arnold's taken over. But you know, one I read a really saw a really great tweet from a from a colleague of ours who covers the Man United, and he said, "You you hear this same old rhetoric, but nothing ever changes at United. Mm-hmm. You know, they they're keen to sort of say we've got a billion billion plus followers on social media platforms. I mean, who cares if they if that's all they care about, then." You know that's that is also damning of where United are and which which direction they're going in because you know they haven't won a trophy for since 2017. They haven't won the title now for nine years, mm. and you know I fully expect City to to wipe the floor with them on um, on Sunday. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Listen, listen, United in the same way that Spurs had a chance of beating Manchester City and did. United have got the same chance, and we've seen we've we've seen you know, they've had some good results at the Etihad. You know, with uh, I was there for the second half. Paul Pogba inspired comeback, and that can happen. You know, you know what what happened to City um, at the hands of Tottenham Hotspur at the Etihad a couple of weeks back can happen on Sunday. You know, because because United can score good goals on the can score on the counter attack. They're probably better mm. on the counter attack than anything else, and they are going. They will have to play on the counter attack, and in in the players they've got on the counter attack. You know they can they they can win that game, but you know even if they win, it 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 won't camouflage. It won't camouflage the difference between between the two clubs at the moment and the two teams. And just going back to your original point, then that also we've heard this about going. You know, I think John Mayer also referred to this, the, the 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 search for the new manager. And you said, John, that. You know, Rangnick is so far away from being a candidate. It's untrue. Well, you know what? I, I looked at him after the Leeds game. Um, and obviously since then, they've had that pretty miserable result against Watford at home. But, you know, he looked like a guy who wanted the job to me. I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to consider him, but he looked like a guy who wanted the job. I mean, yeah. I, I suspect he will want it. And as you said, results, you know, actual on paper, you look at the results, so they haven't been that bad, you know, in terms of points accrued. I mean, they've gone out the cup, which is, um, you know, which are, again, the same way as with Spurs, is, is a big miss for them. But, you know, there's every chance they'll progress in the Champions League. You know, I mean, it's not going to be easy in in the return leg against the Let's Go, but there's, you know, they would be favourites to go through. So who knows? They could get themselves into another pickle, which they did when they appointed Solskjaer 
short term and 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 he became man, manager long term, they, they could get themselves into into an, another pick. But they whatever happens, they can't let themselves do that. They need a manager, you know, who is going to have a chance of doing the same sorts of things that Guardiola and Klopp have done at Liverpool, Man City, and that's hard. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Right, finally, guys, we're going to end on best Manchester derby matches. Jeremy. Uh, well, I think Andy probably was at this game. Um, the one moment that stands out in my mind was the overhead kick from Rooney. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that was 2011, sealed a 2-1 win for United. The look on Mika Richards' face as he watched that ball fly into the top corner. If you watch the replays of it, it actually shinned it a bit, Rooney. It came off his shin, but I mean, that's probably been a bit harsh on him, but it was a great moment. One one of the best goals I've ever seen. But the but the one derby that I always think about is the um, the 6-1 when City went to El Trafford and absolutely trounced United, a Fergie team. Uh, Fergie looked shell-shocked, actually, on the touchline. It was like, it was a real moment in... Time you felt like a moment in time where City was saying we're here, you know, we are a major force now, and you know we are going to overtake you as the most powerful club in the land yeah. in terms mm-hmm. of winning trophies. And um, you know, to see a Fergie team get absolutely humiliated in Old Trafford um, by six goals to one was a real sort of mm-hmm. a moment to, to you. You won't forget it being there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Andy. Yeah. Right, well, just take it. I mean, he's right. I was there, and and I can, I can, I can, I can see it now. It was across from Nanny, and Rooney did what what Rooney did. I just thought that moment, you know, um, pretty much just encapsulated Rooney's entire career. I mean, you know, just the right his entire club career. That is, he was just he would just come up with, you know, that moment of sheer instinctive football genius it didn't matter what shape he was in you know what sort of mood he was in it was just he just had that in his locker that very very few players had you know I mean remember the, the volley against I can't remember the, the volley against where he gives the referee a, a mouthful and then waxing Newcastle. Newcastle wasn't it yeah and, and and you know and that was that sort of moment I remember that game you know because that game was going away from, from United at 1-1 and and Antinani cross it, and, and and Jeremy's right. But then every overhead kicking that has ever been has been a shinner, hasn't it? Let's face it. You know, we, we, we all, you know, this, we all. Oh yeah. But it was just, it was just a great moment. I remember the celebrations down in that corner, and it was just, it was just a, a great moment. And on a broader Manchester derby theme, no, I mean, I mean, you, you're right in the terms of of, of the six-one, and then recently, you know, we've seen, you know. Earlier, earlier this season, you know that Manchester derby was symptomatic of the difference between the two sides. It might only have been two, two nil, I think, wasn't it? And but it was, you know, they were they were a chasm apart. So, um, hey, let's not forget, and, and, and that game, that game a few years back when City came back at the Etihad was superb. Yeah, Andy, you know what the six one was that the game when Balotelli lifted up his shirt? Yeah, he scored the first. It was after that, right. I think, wasn't it? I think yeah. it was genuinely the first goal. We had Simon Mullock on here, and we'd be on here all day. Great, great City <laughs> performance against United. We need some balance, but but yeah, and it should be good Sunday. I mean, you know, as I say, don't. It, it's funny you go in and think, oh, oh well, City, you know, overwhelming favourites, which they are, but you know, this United side should put up a fight. This game might play into their hands. I mean, you know, counter attack yeah. Manchester United. We saw them do it to great effect um, against other teams, against Leeds, for example, and they, and they'll be at it again. 
Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, certainly. Certainly looking oh, forward to it. Start. And we're all there. So looking forward we to it. In the meanwhile, you can, Paul, you, can, uh, you can finally discover this weekend, Crossy, just how grim up north it actually is. Yeah, it's, it's pretty grim. <laughs> yeah, I've got my flat cat ready. Don't worry, boys. Yeah. Are, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, well, no. Mate, thanks so much I'll... for joining. It's been a, been a really good show. Plenty, plenty to uh, plenty to discuss. So uh, what a week! Never a dull moment. So, uh, and and thanks everyone for tuning in. So see you same time, same place next week. 